Hi, and welcome to IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. My name is Chris Fault, the editor of the Toolkit, and my guest today, and we're welcome back to the podcast, Eliza Hitman, uh, talking about her new film, uh, Never Rarely, Sometimes, Always. And uh, we're trying to do more of this. You noticed in the winter, we're trying to do more uh, directors with their collaborators, and uh, Scott Cummings is with us, who edited this film and Eliza's first two films, It Felt Like Love and Beach Rats. And uh, should we disclose that you are, I, I think this is their first joint interview, but they are, they are very familiar with each other. <laughs> yeah. Intimately. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I just want to dig into a couple things just to start off with, with this film. Um, let's just talk about the inspiration for this, because I mean, obviously there's a, a very heavy looking at the, the issue of, of abortion, but I was reading about the, the fascination with what was going on in Ireland uh-huh. and this idea, because it really seems like what, what came out of this was like a, cinematically for you mm-hmm. a sense of a journey film and this like kind of like the underground of going to that and it seemed to spoke I mean I, I know these issues are speak to you as a woman and as yeah, a yeah, human yeah. being but the, it seems like the cinematic entry was like kind of a journey of what of what a woman has to go through in Ireland yeah I was um you know inspired to tell the story because of what happened to Savita Halepanaver a woman who passed away in a hospital in Galway and I started reading about the journey that women would take from Ireland to London and back in one day across the Irish Sea. And it seemed like such a treacherous journey, a treacherous trip. And the image that came to mind was of a woman on the run. Um, And thinking about what are the obstacles in just that trip in and of itself and getting back and forth. Um, And that was really the inspiration for the film. But of course, I'm not an Irish filmmaker, and I didn't think anyone at that time would give me money to make a movie set in Ireland. So I started thinking about what that journey looks like in the United States for women who are forced to travel from rural areas into urban areas, and specifically New York City. So yeah, I was, you know, 100% interested in exploring the issue you know, and the stigmatized experience that many women have getting an abortion. But I was also interested in the physical journey. And I hadn't made a movie like that before. All my films are sort of set in stagnant corners of Brooklyn. And I wanted to stretch the canvas and make my version of a coming-of-age film, my version of a road movie, you know. And it, you know, is, for me, very much a poetic odyssey. You know, the first two films, I mean, you grew up in Brooklyn and 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 very much mined this this mm-hmm. landscape that you you know. It strikes me that one thing with Pennsylvania was that I don't think that anyone f- would feel any less. That, mm-hmm. Obviously, part of it is an intimate knowledge as a filmmaker, but the specificity in the detail and mm-hmm. where these women come from and stuff. And I want to talk about this also in terms of editing because like so yeah. much of this is just. Well, it also well, love- has a lot to do with Scott because Scott is from a rural town or, you know, a small city, I should say, in western New York called Lockport. And for the last 12 years, I've spent a lot of time in Lockport, New York with Scott. And a lot of the environment (laughs) of rural Pennsylvania or that town in Pennsylvania, this post-industrial town, I drew from Scott's post-industrial upbringing in western New York. Mm -hmm. And then you had to do Pennsylvania because you need the um, the 18-year the, the law of, yeah. of women yeah. uh, needing yeah. uh, the parental consent. And, and right? I was interested in telling a story that subtly, mm-hmm. you know, starts in a place that's trapped in time mm-hmm. and that travels into the present mm-hmm. almost. I want I want to jump into. Oh yeah, no. I, I was yeah. going to say we we actually had been poking around central Pennsylvania for like six or seven years too. It became like a weird because I shot like a music 
video thing for some friends there. And then in we Centralia. Went, yeah. And then we went back. We stayed in Shimokin, actually, which is a town we shot in. And then we just kind of kept going back to that area for various reasons, just because we were like vaguely interested in it, like Wilkes-Barre and um, Scranton area. And it's um, on our way to visit Scranton. And it is, parents. yeah. It's on the way to my parents' house. So we stopped there pretty often. Um, so it's kind of like a weird midway point for us in a lot of things. So we we kind of have been there a lot before we... I, and then Shimokin somehow just kind of came back into the film. I don't know. It was It's just such a funny name, too. Well, <laughs> you know, one of these things, because you, you... I'm curious, though, because it's like... Part of it, I think, is probably just when when filmmakers know the area and know the daily lives of it. But it's interesting to me, and, and just someone that has to sco- go through all this footage and stuff. What registers and what? Because I have such a strong sense of place, and mm-hmm. I have such a strong sense of um, what these women's lives are like, and it's often very subtle and also uh, not spoken. And I'm curious, though, is, is that element of, I mean, part of this, and I do want to get into the research process that you went through, um, but th- there is something about what, and I think this speaks to Eliza's first two films, too, is like what registers in terms of, of telling a story through place? Because I imagine it's in certain footage, right? Um, yeah and no. I think the footage is very specific, actually, from mm-hmm. Eliza, and we don't use any B-roll, like, at all. There's no B-roll um, of, of a town. In any of, <laughs> any of Eliza's films, like, period i think There's actually I did, I did i infer did i infer, no no did I no, no, no. but um <laughs> but uh, you know that would be the typical way to establish what a town is like and always that's a very generic note you'll get from every producer whenever you show them a movie just bar none there needs to be more b-roll to show the place but i think the specificity of what eliza chooses to show kind of makes it um kind of easier to just show just what you need to know and then you can infer Mm -hmm. the rest. I mean, I think like people's imaginations fill in most of the details actually, um, which is, you know, the secret of all filmmaking essentially. Um, But uh, what's the secret? Just the people's imaginations (laughs) like fill you provide something and then people, uh, people fill in the rest. Um, But um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think about, Shimokin particularly, I think we used most of the footage we could use of Shimokin. Um, there was a moment where the film actually went to Wilkes-Barre also, but uh, we cut that out. Um, so, yeah, the only yeah. sequence that was cut in the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But let's talk about this when you when you wanted to set this uh-huh. there, the, the, um, your process uh-huh. in writing this uh-huh. and going back because a part of it was very much ingraining yeah. yourself in, in yeah. what someone has to go through in, yeah. in a place like the, in a town like this. I have to see it and to experience it to write it. Um, maybe I'm not as imaginative as a writer as other people are. Um, but for me, it's all about, you know, walking through spaces and landscapes and, you know, forming my own understanding and appreciation of them. Um, So we, like I said, we chose this town. And then as part of the research process, the first thing we did was Scott and I went into local pregnancy care centers. Mm -hmm. And I took a pregnancy test in many of them. And we sat down and both of us together went through the counseling sessions. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what you see that in the film, the clinic or the center that Autumn goes to in Pennsylvania, 
The conversations that she had are very much a reflection of the conversations that we had as a couple Mm -hmm. um, in those centers, Um, because I didn't want to depict them in a, you know, in a false light and make them kind of Christian caricatures or villains. That would have been too easy. Um, And I wanted to represent the way in which they try and, quote, help women. I mean, it, it wasn't until the scenes developed that I even realized that this is uh-huh. these women have a, mm-hmm. a, a an agenda. Of, yeah, pro-life uh-huh. agenda. And that's how we felt in a way sitting mm-hmm. there, you know, because obviously their intention is to help you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they believe they're helping you, uh, you know, for sure. I mean, they're not like evil, um, but we walked in there knowing what they were up to. And they were actually a little more transparently Christian than uh-huh. when we went. I mean, they they asked pretty quickly if we went to church mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, but yeah, you know, like the whole, the whole MO of those places is to be deceptive. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. um, so they, you know, even the way they name themselves, like, you know, family crisis center, like pregnancy care center, all kind of, uh, are meant to like, uh, direct people away from, you know, the Planned Parenthood across the street or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, but in this and case, literally there's across no, the street. Yeah, yeah, in this case, there's no Planned Parenthood across the no, street no, in no, this no. town. Yeah. But in other places, they're meant to confuse. Mm-hmm. What about the script writing process? It sounds like you guys collaborate a lot earlier than yeah, the, the editing Scott room. Scott is in the trenches with me <laughs> from the beginning until end to the end <laughs> of the process. Well, I, mean, I imagine that makes it easier, too, in terms of, because, I mean, you're, you're dealing with structural issues once you get into post-production and stuff, mm-hmm. and you have already been so intimately involved with like the original structuring and the decisions, mm-hmm. I think it probably has to, mm-hmm. I mean, I imagine that, I mean, do you guys edit together? I don't edit. No, don't you, don't sit, you, don't, no. you don't, do you sit though? Do you sit like, I think it's important for the director to stand far back from the monitor mm-hmm. and to have some distance than not to be so close up. Mm-hmm. Scott is editing a lot of the time while I'm shooting. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you guys are going right. Yeah. yeah uh, you, we usually have like a watchable cut within a week after the film shoot wraps. So, um, yeah, we had one this time too. I usually edit with somebody else at least for the beginning. So it goes faster. Um, so usually we have like a rough cut pretty quickly um and then that's like a panic inducing thing because it's usually like three hours long um and then we kind of figure it out it's too soon after i finish the shoot to like process the movie so it yeah causes a lot of tears (laughs) (laughs) but i'm a little i'm a little ruthless i think in editing sometimes like about i'm like willing to like just take things right out um even though i've been attached to the script or whatever for a long time i kind of try to with everything not just eliza i just kind of try to like think of that as like this grand idea for a thing that is no longer relevant and then just trying to figure out how to make things work that we have because you had a tight right this is like a spring summer shoot um no it was a winter spring shoot oh so you didn't have okay so Uh you did have a little bit this was actually the only time it's not been insane usually it's like 12 weeks but it it was it was a bit insane for us editing the movie yeah we had a lot of personal things sort of happen along the process and I took a big hiatus from it yeah yeah so then it ended up becoming like a big rush at the end. Yeah, again. it didn't. We were meant to have. <laughs> we shouldn't have had a rush. Yeah. It was like, like, this time we're going to have eight months of photos. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is great. Um, but sometimes it's good because you have like a lot more. I mean, sometimes it's good to not have time and to like just have to make decisions mm-hmm. on the fly. But, you know. But also, when you work under such tight 
time constraints. You mm. just sometimes your perception is a little distorted because when you're a director, you're the way that you see the movie is tied to the emotional experience that you have making it, and that sometimes distorts mm. the film. You've written certain things onto certain pieces of footage and performances. Mm. And yeah, yeah. Um, can we talk a little bit about? Um, your approach to coverage. I mean, this is you worked with the same cinematographer mm-hmm. again here, um, and she's wonderful. Mm-hmm. I, and and there is um, there is a, a real proximity and and mm-hmm. intimacy that is achieved with the with the camera and these two mm-hmm. these two women. Um, but I'm curious, and I, 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 I know so much of this is driven by performance. But I'm curious then how much of this in in terms of it is single camera i know mm-hmm. it's not but 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 in that sense of it is two camera in a lot of places actually oh okay but it shot sure, we had a couple, right? yeah. well we well we had a um no we used we used we whipped out two bodies in a lot of places uh-huh. unexpectedly mm-hmm. and um, I assume New York sometimes if you're yeah, there. Yeah, because when we had the steady cam operator yeah. working, then sometimes we could take out the second camera and shoot some more atmospheric footage of the girls. Hmm. So like the bus, when they first get on the bus ride to New mm-hmm. York, there's two cameras and you can tell by the depth of field. Mm-hmm. Um, we shot two cameras in the pivotal scene. Um, there's a bunch of places where we actually whipped out mm-hmm. the second body. Mm-hmm. It wasn't planned for, but we did spontaneously. But what are what is your kind of a coverage approach in in, in, in general? Is it is it, is it some, are you someone that's like mapping things out very carefully? Is this something where, like I said, there's so much of this seems yeah. like this incredible intimacy that it's Helene, right? Helene, Helen, Helen, Helen. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, the cast mm-hmm. achieve. Mm-hmm. And I have to imagine that's like such a huge right. focus. I think for me, um, just on a script level you know for me it's important to just write very economically and simply and a lot of times when you're writing the first draft you put down the basic story and then for me the second draft is all about point of view and really establishing the character's point of view and then it's like a sculpture it's like going in for details and I think that's in a way the way that the film is shot, you know, we try and consider like, you know, how we know the basic needs of the scene, the point of view and the details. And that's that's the type of coverage that we have. And I think Scott can attest when he started looking at the footage for mm. never rarely, sometimes always. The first thing he said was it's the same shots as beach rats. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're like literally the same shots. I like recognize the shots. It's funny, um, which is odd. Um yeah, I, I also think Eliza, the scenes are generally covered very simply but effectively. And then there's a lot of scenes, actually, a lot more scenes than maybe in a standard film, actually. Short um, scenes. There's a lot of short scenes. So that actually kind of helps build a certain intimacy, I think, also. Um, and we cut a lot of scenes also. I mean, we cut like 50 scenes, you know. Um, but they kind of work into the character, or the actor's abilities, uh, you know, so they're not useless. They're not like necessarily useless. They, they, they give something. Okay. One of the things that I loved about this film and some of the, some of the filmmaking is so efficient and, and, and so um, subtle. And, and, and one of the, the ones, the scenes I was rewatching it again this morning, the stuff in the first half an hour with um, uh, Autumn, mm-hmm. And understanding so much of it is unspoken, mm-hmm. but the the story that I'm able to piece together of her family this is, and the performance mm-hmm. is often very stoic. Mm-hmm. You know, the other the cousin that's more mm-hmm. lively and, and 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 just just 
these scenes where she's looking at her father smoking the mm-hmm. cigarette mm-hmm. or the stepfather in the kitchen or that wonderful TV scene with the dog mm-hmm. and or even just the, the 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 dinner with the looking at the boys across like I'm able to by you know without having any details here I have like a very rich sense of her emotion mm-hmm. what's behind that stoic performance and also you know why she might be making some of these decisions and not talking to her mom mm-hmm. and, and feeling like this mm-hmm. and I, I I'm wondering those are so specific but they're so subtle is it is it is it something that that stuff just cuts is, is there is it that you need it, some of it works and you can maybe do less of it and then mm-hmm. sometimes it works. and I'm just wondering about that because it I mean I just I, that kid the, the the TV scene I want it was just mm-hmm. like I was mm-hmm. stunned this morning rewatching it how much I understood about her mm-hmm. just in the mm-hmm. 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 the TV scene was very difficult actually okay. to cut because my my impulse is to be very provocative probably too provocative um, so I feel like you know we had to really find a balance between being like in your face this is like i mean i like to try to be in your face but then it was too much so we had to kind of figure out a way to pull that back but um you know get the idea still across um and you know there were scenes there were some of those like character building scenes in pennsylvania that went that i was like really that we cut that i was really sad about and that one every once in a while we'd be like oh should we cut this scene Uh, because there were actually two similar scenes uh, in front of the TV, um, with can I talk? Can I say this? Uh-huh. There were two similar scenes actually in the living room, um, and we thought the character information for the stepdad and the mother was like much more important than this one. But we actually really liked what Sydney was doing in the other scene, so I kind of just cheated the scene by taking Sydney from one scene and cutting it into this scene. So I cut. So it's we like scene, scene 95 Sydney shots are all in mm-hmm. scene 46 or whatever. Cause she's, you know, drinking beer actually, which she wasn't doing in that scene originally, but it was like a character thing I thought was mm-hmm. important about her parents actually. When you um, say, when you talk about cutting some of the early character stuff and it's, and I mean, you've seen it, I have not, but it's like, it, it feels like less is so much more sometimes, yeah. mm-hmm. right? And, and, and It's a fragile yeah. film in a way, and it's like when you kind of go too far, you feel it. Yeah, yeah. and we definitely had a lot more uh-huh. in Pennsylvania uh-huh. and like kind of really liked it, which was the problem. Um, but we knew we needed you know. to get them out by like 20 minutes. Yeah, and we had a lot of, a lot more of Sharon, the mom, in the in the film actually yeah, and all those um, scenes are great it just was, yeah. became a little repetitive yeah 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 and i think that and i don't know if any of this had it, it was related to it but there is there is an element of like when you get to the um the titular scene mm-hmm. of you know the, the serve once again with very little like it's so powerful just even to see her get some of these questions and about how she got in this situation that it, it just feels to me, I always, it always strikes me that when the audience is able to fill in some of that information themselves mm-hmm. and, and often through a character reaction, it's almost more emotional than mm-hmm. actually having the data or the, you know, the, 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 pre- the preface of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I imagine that scene plays a little bit differently if I know more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was For all sure. about, you know, pulling back and finding you know how much was really necessary like a good example would be in the um, supermarket when they put their hands through the slot Mm. and the manager kisses them we do have the other side of that 
And then in the end, it was too much. You know, even though it's just a small kiss, it was too much. And it was better for it to be imagined Mm -hmm. than it was to be seen on screen. And I think that was, you know, a lot of things in the film. It's also sufficiently creepy with the sound. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Also kind of, you know, like one of the hallmarks of all of Eliza's films is that um, we keep it completely... uh, rigorous pov we never cut from the pov of the main character like ever so to show the other side of the thing was problematic actually i mean it just like spiritually was problematic but also it just i don't know it was the wrong move it's better you know the trick of this kind of strict pov thing is it pushes you further into the pov character's head um and if you never leave it it's like no relief from it um which is kind of a trick i guess And how much of that also, I mean, we we just talked about a couple scenes that actually had point of view um, in that sense of subjectivity, but like an actual point of view shots. But a lot of it, it feels like um, it is being close to them and Mm -hmm. a sense of the movement, Mm -hmm. not just their movement, but how we're experiencing Mm -hmm. the the movement. It's not just physically being with them, but it's how we're going to move through space with them. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, Mm -hmm. like... I mean, she's so wonderful. I, she operates, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, but, but there's like, um, how much of that, I want to kind of twofold, mm-hmm. both like on set, how much of that is like finding, mm-hmm. you know, this is your second film with her, like how much of that is finding that movement that's going to get me that feeling mm-hmm. and then how much of that is like, also there's different takes in the, in the, in the editing room and this one is more, mm-hmm. you know, visceral or this one's too much or it's like kind of, or, mm-hmm. or is it, I'm I'm wondering about that because it's so. Helen is a is a, you know, intuitive and fluid operator, mm-hmm. and that's part of you know the appeal in working with her. You know, is that she's so connected to the story, um, and she knows how to move her own body in a way to find positions when we are handheld, but the movie's not entirely handheld, um, where you don't feel her presence behind the camera. Um, and I think that's, you know, what's so elegant about it. Um, and we always talked about, you know, the idea that, you know, while we're shooting this story, we're also just shooting Sydney and Talia as young women moving through time and space. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of that feeling through the film, you know, of just being with them moving through time and space. Is that one of the real challenges in editing this too? Is is like how, if you have this this evocative footage, like how mm. you know the transitions, you know, yeah, and in a sense of pacing, but also which ones are too much, which ones is not enough. Yeah, again. it's like yeah, yeah, and, and you know, like sometimes we struggled. I, I I think actually, there were struggles. For example, with like there's a walking shot like very early in the movie that feels like way too long to me and it like makes me kind of crazy every time. But I also think it's kind of good because it forces you to like stay with the character in a way that might even be annoying to the audience, but I think that's fine or maybe even good. Um, But you know, like it it takes a while to kind of figure out, um, you know, like how much of a journey to show like with the 
bus riding sequence we it was like 20 12 minutes long at one point <laughs> it was like immense it was, it was and there so was like pretty. majestic music and it was like so long and like it was like our favorite thing and we, yeah. we have a very filmmaker based audience here yeah. so i think people understand when they say struggle it's like this is a post this is ned this is part of making a movie it doesn't mean yeah. that it was it wasn't it wasn't shot with a certain specificity yeah but i just really assume with this film and i want to say this preface this with it's like this film is incredibly lean incredibly efficient mm -hmm. I personally feel like um, the, the your ability to you're getting more and more acute about able to get to emotion with mm -hmm. less, which I th is I love all three films, but mm -hmm. I, I'm noticing it mm -hmm. getting sharper. So with the context that I it's a, this is a tight, wonderfully made film, I have to also imagine that this isn't one. And the way that that you work, this is this is the the modulating in post is not something where you necessarily have something that feels good early on. Like I have to imagine, there's like a lot. It takes a while to 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 get at it. Am I wrong? Am I, maybe I'm wrong about that. <laughs> I, I think there's elements we struggled with. Like it took us a long time, and we needed help to sort of work through the music. Yeah. That was, that was very. That tricky. was a big challenge for the two of us. But Josh was so bold and so big with the music. Uh -huh. This one's like very like. Uh -huh. It was more that delicate. Was, that yeah. was trickier too. Be tricky too. Be Neither of us are very good, I think, with music and film, and our impulse is not to use any usually. So I should tell you something though. When Eliza was here to talk to you, she gave you all the credit for the music. Oh, really? <laughs> <I was complimenting>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but. Actually, speaking of beach rats, that that was kind of the most horrific example because the first cut of that film was like three hours and forty minutes long, mm -hmm. and it was like a pretty decent rough cut. And I was like, I was like, man, I guess this is a really long movie. And I was like, I gotta go home. I'm gonna like go home and watch The Deer Hunter and just be like, that's a really long movie. That's good, and I haven't seen it in like ten years, so I'll watch that. And I turned it on like ten minutes into The Deer Hunter. I had like a total panic attack because like the first ten minutes of the deer, the deer Hunter is just these like amazing shots of a truck like driving through the sh streets, and I was like, holy shit! Like we can't make a three hour movie out of Beach Rats. Oh my god! I wasn't quite as bad with this one, but Beach Rats was more extreme. Where mm -hmm. I think we had to make a lot of harsh decisions. Yeah, are deceptively simple and economical, and then they expand in time in really unpredictable ways right. because they have more of a natural rhythm and pace, you know, and it is about seeing somebody in private moments and those private moments breathe, things breathe on screen in a way that maybe mm -hmm. I don't anticipate on the page. On the page, people can read my scripts in like 40 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, oh, it's so beautiful, so you know, economical, so simple to visualize. And then they become much more heavy and I don't know. Well, most, most scripts too are like filled up with dialogue, which is <laughs> obviously not, there's obviously not immense amounts of dialogue in these films too. So then you have like a one line thing, but it could be, you know, it's like one line on the page, but it could be 45 seconds long or something. Because so much of it is about the time that we spend with these mm -hmm. women. And, and, and yeah. I imagine the, the footage that you don't use is still evocative, but it's like, mm -hmm. how long mm -hmm. do we, yeah. what, what it's, it's emotional beats instead of story beats and like how, yeah. you know, it's almost. I think like the edit of this film, the biggest challenge for us was Pennsylvania and showing the balance between her time in that care center, her time alone, her time at work, and her time with her family. Mm -hmm. And those are a lot of things to incorporate into 20 minutes to try and get a rich sense of her world. Mm -hmm. And it was similar a little bit to Beach Rats. That first 20 minutes, I think, can mm -hmm. be the hardest to... Mm -hmm. to um, 
find the balance, mm-hmm. in, you know, in introducing family, work, place, crisis. Yeah, yeah that's always the hardest. What about the disorientation that these these uh, young women feel in New York City? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's a very clear like mm-hmm. this is not an easy city if you've got twenty dollars in your pocket and you're yeah. seventeen and came in, and you're mm-hmm. suddenly your abortion is going to be a few days longer. Like it, 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 it it's it's once again something that's felt very viscerally in terms mm-hmm. of how you shot it and how it's edited. I, I'm curious, you know, I think, I think actually th- we met a family member of mine in the city once when we lived in Manhattan, and. They came in from out of town and we were just meeting them walking down the street and we saw them from a distance. I won't say who it is. And they just seemed so out of place. Actually, there was nothing they were doing. It was just like you could tell that they were just totally lost, just like the clothes and everything. Um, and and you forget like wh- how crazy New York is for people who don't live here. And we don't realize that, you know, we have like a codified kind of, presence after being here for a while but then every once in a while you see somebody or, or like you know your parents my parents or something when they come here it's just like oh yeah they're not they don't know what new york they don't get new york at all um this is a terri- like this is a terrifying place for them actually or terif- they, they they don't want to be here um and i think yeah i mean and then all of these small things start to pile up into your frustration I walked by um, Forty Court this morning, mm-hmm. which is very different than it appears in your movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, that, and just on my way here, I mm-hmm. was watching the screener at home, and then I was like, "Hey, you know, I'm gonna go to Borough Hall, take the train." And, and I, mm-hmm. it's 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 interesting, even just the way sometimes you frame it. It's like maybe you just got lucky, and there was an ambulance there or a police mm-hmm. car there or something <laughs> like that. But it's like that sense of a jagged angle and rain, mm-hmm. and and it, it it suddenly like it. If I if you if I had just taken my iPhone out and shot that angle this morning, it would have not felt or looked anything like that. So mm-hmm. a lot of these have to be like choices and in, in terms of how you're going to film things and frame things. Yeah, I think we're we're never um, really like frontal on a location. We never just see the entrance to the supermarket. You know, we're always a little bit at an angle. We're never. Um, I don't. You know, I think it's a little easy to have these kind of like perfectly symmetrical balanced frames i don't know when that became the standard for good cinematography but i find it a bit ubiquitous that everyone points a camera at things centers it and shoots um it's not so interesting Mm -hmm. um there are other ways and to look at architecture and space and people that's not just frontal so there's nothing you know there's nothing like that in the film we try and find really natural positions um, and ways to look at space and characters are you having permit I, I, i'm mm-hmm. less interested about permits and mm-hmm. more as i am do you have control over some of these spaces in new york or are you kind of barely going, barely? barely the one space we did have control over was port authority mm-hmm. because you just can't yeah shoot there illegally <laughs> um impossible mm-hmm. Um, but and that was logistically a nightmare because you're only allowed to shoot there from 12 a.m. to 4 a.m. So initially on my script, I, you know, in the script, I really wanted to feel like the world when they get in New York was more filled with people mm-hmm. and the frame is filled with people. But it wasn't something we could achieve. Um, just on the off chance that um someone is listening to most people listen to this after they see the film and they should but just on the off chance that um you know you haven't seen the film maybe maybe 
say bye to Liza and Scott and come back and listen to that later. Cause I want to, I want to ask about, um, one of my favorite sequences in this is, is, is that sense of when she's, she can't find the cousin. The cousin's gone off with the guy. It's my favorite sequence yeah. too. And she goes out to New York and it's lost. She's lost. And then she comes back and that, that hand holding scene. I mean, it is just a, a, the emotional roller coaster, And then, and then, then the, the beauty of, of that and their bond, it's all unspoken, but I, I'm curious though, how it is, it is something that is a very visceral, it's a very edited scene. I'm wondering, was that something that, you know, is that something that took a lot of time to find? I mean, the footage is obviously there. Um, that particular scene. It didn't scene, change much. No, it didn't so much, actually. Um, yeah, it was actually not that. I mean, that was a very specific scene, I think, in the script. So, I mean, I did a few, like, editing tricks in there that I don't remember what, just to speed a few things up, I think. Um, but for the most part, we that scene didn't change much from the first assembly, right? I think I, of course, made the kissing way more provocative at first and was trying to make it too provocative, and then we dialed it way back. Um, but that's the main change I remember. What about you? Yeah, I don't think it, I don't think we adjusted it that much. Uh-huh. You really knew what you wanted there. Yeah, yeah. Those scenes in New York where it's also, it seems like the shallow focus and some of these, just, just everything's spinning around. It's, yeah, it's, just, it's my favorite yeah. moment in the film, actually. Yeah. Um, it wasn't an easy one to shoot, you know. <laughs> It's such because a weird... you, you, in order, to, you have to have the same permission to shoot outside Port Authority mm -hmm. as you do mm -hmm. inside Port Authority. Mm -hmm. So we just didn't have the time that I thought we would have to do some of that stuff. But it, it's such a good place too, because it's like a place everybody knows and is attracted to. Who's not, who doesn't live in New York? But then you go there, and there's like nothing there. Actually, it's uh, like why? It's just like lights. It's it's really horrible. Uh, Zach Sharf, our news editor, is a Jersey boy. He still goes back to Jersey all the time, and he. he you know, we'd all told him this film was wonderful and he went and saw a pre press screening and he came back and he had wonderful things to say about it. But he, the one thing he pointed out that none of us pointed out, he goes, this is one of the best Port Authority movies I've ever seen. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, he's like, I was not expecting it to be such a good Port Authority movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a little bit of a screaming question. Something like the hands or even just that scenario mm -hmm. of, you probably have an idea from a story standpoint of, of what you're going to do with the beat, but like the specifics. Mm -hmm. Is that just something that comes to you in terms of that handholding or is that in, in, in that set up with the column or is that something where it's like you burn through like a hundred ideas before you get the perfect one? I think shaping the sequence with Jasper as the character's name at the end that, uh, you know, that last night in New York took me a minute in the script um, and figuring out the power dynamics and what was happening. Because um, you could go, the one thing about the Jasper thing is once again, uh -huh, there's a scenario could, in which you could go a lot stronger with that. Uh -huh, it could, could go be, a lot darker. He could be a lot There more was a version that was darker, mm -hmm. and it was reined in. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just about, you know, again, like calibration mm -hmm. of tone, you know, and making sure everything felt like slightly like on the line. It feels more effective not knowing how... If, mm -hmm what his agenda is mm -hmm. or where he's, I mean, you know what his agenda is, but like, mm -hmm. like it, it's more effective being nervous in their shoes, wondering exactly what, what his deal is. Yeah. I think, you know, um, and I think, you know, what I was thinking about is that, you know, they're together the whole movie and 
at one point they need to be separate. Mm -hmm. And I was looking for that moment. Like, how do they get separated? And it became him. He becomes a wedge Mm -hmm. in their relationship. And I wanted, you know, in a way for Sydney's character, Autumn, to reach this sort of peak moment of being alone with everything that she's going through in New York. Mm -hmm. And that's that moment outside Times Square. And then when she sees Talia kissing this kid, for me, it was about, you know, them in an unspoken way telling each other they'll never speak about this again. And that Talia has her secret of what she did in New York. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Sydney has her secret and they'll never speak of it again. It's beautiful. And it says something like that on the page. They lock pinkies. This is their shared secret. Mm-hmm. The, the other favorite sequence I have is, is, the, um, is the title scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had already kind of alluded to the fact you got two cameras in what I assume is a very small Planned Parenthood yeah. office. One frontal, <laughs> one three-quarter on Sydney. The decision to hold on Sydney... I mean, part of that is you got to get the performance, mm-hmm. but that decision to uh, to hold on her as much as you as you do was that a is that something that kind of went back and forth, or is that just that that was it just was a, always in the strategy, mm-hmm. and then and from the beginning I said I want to shoot the scene with two cameras, so we need two bodies on set at all times, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, I you know I I felt like you know that there was. Because the test, the questions that she's asked in that scene are from the questionnaire at Planned Parenthood. Um, and they're lifted right off the intake form. And it's about opening up a conversation with somebody who comes in about their past and making sure that they're safe. Um, and I don't know, I always wanted to do it as a long take. And I intuitively felt like Sydney can do it. And part of the reason I cast Sydney was because. I felt she would bring the most depth to the character and in the most vulnerable moments. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, I think Scott said something that was really smart. He said that, you know, when you shoot a long take um, on digital cameras, it's meaningless because you can just delete it and start again at any point, but you can never go backwards with a roll of film. Um, and there was, you know, a really authentic, beautiful 11-minute take. Mm-hmm. And it could have played like that, mm-hmm. you know, but we included just a little bit of the counselor for context. Mm-hmm. So basically, um, first off, the counselor asked several questions, like clarifying just things about her life, like, you know, just vague general questions, and we wanted to speed that up a little bit. So it actually does cut back and forth for a bit. Um but once it gets to the never rarely, sometimes always part, like I kind of, we, we left it still too long. So there's like a lot of extraneous questions, but because we wanted people to get kind of bored, I think, for a second. And then once it gets to the actual never rarely, sometimes always questionnaire, we stopped cutting. So it's about four and a half or five minutes long of not cutting on her face. But I kind of wanted people to drift and then lock back in. Um, 
I, I, have, I have so much more that I want to talk to you guys about, but uh, I tell you what, everybody go see the film and then, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, uh, <laughs> uh, talk amongst yourself uh, because you two have to go. <laughs> Thank <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for coming in and doing this together. I, I, is this is your first joint interview? I think yeah, so. Uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, you did very well. Thank you.